You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I'm Danny, and I help connect businesses with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Just want to thank you all for joining me today, discussing building high-performance teams. Um, Joined by a fantastic panel, therefore, I'd like to kick off the podcast by asking you who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. Um, I'll start things off first. So I'm Danny, I'm part of Evolution's tech consultants. I specialize in recruiting contracts, DevOps, and cloud engineers within Sydney. Um, I'm particularly passionate about building lasting relationships with my clients and candidates um, and helping teams scale up and grow during their digital transformations. I'm going to swing that over to Shane first, if you want to introduce yourself for me. Hi, yeah, my name's Shane Van Bentham. I actually work at uh, VMware. Um, if you don't know VMware, VMware is a cloud computing virtualization technology company. I'm kind of pioneered the virtualization space. Um, I work for in, internally for a team um, called VMware Platform Services. And as the name suggests, we provide a number of services internally to the engineering teams. Um, so that they can operate services both publicly as well as as well as develop product um, that is shipped. Um, so my team specifically looks after the virtual infrastructure, which is is um, a virtual private cloud for for um, for VMware and VMware engineering specifically. Um, so I recently moved back to Australia after seven years or so, just over seven years in the US. Um, so passionate from from personal perspective, I was thinking like this, like uh, I, I never thought I'd say it, but I'm actually starting to you know, kind of really enjoy gardening, which is uh, which is weird. Normally, I, I like, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's only really since since I've been back. Uh, um, I live up here in the Central Coast, um, uh, but from a business perspective, very passionate about organizational change, um, specifically around. Um, DevOps transformation, so approaching operational problems with the developer mindset. Um, typically, and, and and particularly around like IT, traditional IT teams, and how you can kind of get more out of um, you know limited resources. So that's me. Amazing, great stuff. Um, swing it over to Sudith now, if you want to introduce yourself as well for me, please. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, so, Sudith Devon, um, I head up the cloud economics and intelligence team for uh, Asia Pac in Japan at AWS. And uh, in terms of the role, uh, my team uh, helps customers understand uh, the business value of moving to cloud. It helps customers understand how to better manage their financial um, side of the operations after they've moved to cloud. And then we also help from a, a competitive intelligence perspective as well. Um, and um, AWS, for people that um, don't know AWS, um, it's a part of Amazon. Um, it's uh, probably one of the first, if not the first, um, hyperscale companies that sort of came uh, to the market back um, about 15 years ago now. Um, and um, yeah, I've been here for about four years. Um, so in terms of my passion, um, I'm, I've always been curious and, and very passionate about the, the cross-section or, or intersection, I should say, between technology and business. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not um, an out-and-out uh, tech person um, in terms of a sort of a solution architect or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I, I think I understand enough to sort of really um, get into the impact that it has on business. And, and that's exciting. And uh, it's something that, you know, it has become 
you know the the forefront really uh, particularly over the last year with with covid uh, but even over the last five to six years you're really starting to see um, a very business first sort of mindset with with our customers which is awesome so um, that's me amazing great stuff and over to owen please mate yeah, so I'm Owen Craig. I'm the head of engineering at a startup uh, based in Sydney called Equate, uh, and we provide a strategic workforce planning SaaS uh, product, uh, which really, really is about helping our customers um, connect their people to their purpose. So be able to plan for the future in a way that actually is sustainable rather than, oh, let's just backfill this person who's left. Oh, let's just hire people. Let's guess, uh, which, which really speaks to sort of, uh, when we're talking about sort of what do I do and where my passions are, it's a great bit of alignment here because um, I, uh, I'm i leading the engineering and product team there to sort of take the product to markets. We've got an MVP and we're really going that next step. And so my background is in this agile transformation space. So for me, I've got a real passion around making sure that teams can deliver value. Uh, a developer's job is not to write code. They'll often do it, but that's actually not their job. It's to deliver value through their technology. Um, and so I've got a real passion about how do we enable teams to really hit their straps and deliver real business value rather than just sort of being those boffins in the corner who deliver. Brilliant, great stuff. Um, all right, so we'll head straight on to the first question then. And uh, that is, when creating high, when creating a high performance team, what characteristics do you look for in an individual team members and also collaboratively as a team? Anybody want to get us kicked off? So this has been uh, front of mind for me a lot recently, just because um, in, in this new role, we've been really building out a team from scratch. Um, and there's, there's a couple of things here. One of them is really about anyone that we're bringing in really needs to be able to be a real team player. And this, this is sort of the mindset of the team can succeed as a team rather than this person is brilliant and the team also attends. Um, so when we're talking about that, it's, it's really looking at the people, especially at a senior level, who can sort of raise the tide and often talk about them being multiplicative in a team rather than just being additive. Um, so it's really around how will this person help everyone around them be better? And that, and that sort of then helps. If you've got enough of them, you get this sort of critical mass of continual improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Like I've seen, uh, I agree and echo a lot of that. Like I see that as a lot of leadership characteristics. Um, like I like the my particularly senior members of the team uh, to be more, to show more leadership, the ability to make decisions that don't, decisions don't need to come from the top, they need to come from the team really. So yeah, my job really is not to push down decisions to my team, it's definitely for them to make those decisions and, um, and I, I'm just kind of there to unblock them really. Um, yeah, and when I'm looking, when, when we're, we're, we're on the search for people, one of the foundational things we look for is um, evidence of overcoming obstacles. Uh, you know, engineers can often put things in their in their way, which are artificial roadblocks. And you know, if they just think uh, a little bit um, out of the box, or they um, take a different approach to it, they you know, they're able to get past um, the issue just on their own. So um, there's a few more, but yeah, let the others comment. Yeah, no, I think um, you completely agree with um, with Owen and, and Shane. Um, I think that they're, they're really good characteristics. I like that sort of approach of that, you know, critical mass and sort of seeing that with people um, and, and how they make other teams better. 
Um, I mean, from an individual perspective, I mean, things I look for. So I think over the last year, um, we've hired about 20 people across the region um, in, into my team. Um, I think, you know, certainly people from different backgrounds and different approaches to, to problem solving. Like I, I like to see people tackle the problem in, in very different ways. And, and I think, you know, as you're hiring people, you can really test that through your, your interview process. Um, I do like to see people that um, just have this sort of constant desire and, and natural curiosity to, to improve and and they kind of never feel comfortable um, with with um, what they've done, no matter how good they are. They, they, they always think they're sort of a level that they can really, you know, turn up the dial a little bit. And, and I think, um, you know, people that are sort of high performing and are in high performing teams, if they have that, um, it also comes with a bit of humility um, in that, you know, no matter how good they are, they, they can get that feedback from, from anyone um, and, and really look to implement that. So I think from an individual perspective, I, I do sort of look for that when, I'm, when we're hiring and, um, you know, without sort of going into all the ins and outs of, of hiring at AWS. I mean, for us, um, I think, you know, personally, I look at those sort of characteristics. It's that sort of Different, different backgrounds and makeup of the team and are they complementary to each other? That sort of wantingness to, to improve and I guess that humility to um, accept feedback from, from everyone, even if they are a so-called expert in that field. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really, really uh, good point around sort of that um, curiosity. So one of the things I realised is as I started this, and, oh yeah, we'd see new team members, but there's only so many seniors you can hire, especially mm. uh, as a startup and things. I mean, when you're VMware or AWS, you've got lots of money to throw at the problem, but um, a bit more capital constraints. Uh, but uh, there, there is that sort of implicit curiosity, especially when you're talking about individuals rather than individuals necessarily yet in the context of the team, is how curious are they? And are they always going to be learning? Because those people we're talking about, that they can sort of rise the tide and things like that, and they can take that feedback is really around, are they just willing to learn? and do stuff that that goes to where Shane was talking around um sort of the grit and resiliency because if it's just a matter of learning yeah I'll stack my head against the wall for 10 hours but then I've learned something so that's a win um which is a which is a really really fantastic thing at all levels absolutely yep all right great stuff um Shane do you want to move on to your first question for the group oh yeah absolutely um yeah, so for us, and I think in the industry today, a key mantra for modern service delivery is to is build and operate. Um, so, yeah, question to the panel really is how are you structuring your engineering teams around this idea? Um, how do you manage the inevitable unplanned work, such as outages, incidents, et cetera, and avoid impacting the planned work, which is delivering new features and value to the um, business? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I might have a go at this one, Shane, because I'll, I'll sort of come at it from a different perspective because um, I think, you know, as explained to Danny, my team's uh, not an engineering team. It's more of a commercial uh, team. Um, but we, we do sort of experience this in terms of sort of, you know, proactive and reactive work. And and, and I know it's not exactly the same as, you know, outages and, and, and those sort of things that, that you're talking about. But um, something we look at, certainly from a proactive and, and reactive work. And if you think of the reactive one is as a result of a customer request, and then the proactive ones are things that can really sort of move the dial and change the way we're doing things and improve things and, and have a sort of a much more scalable effect. Um, 
you know, it, it is a very difficult thing, particularly when you're in a fast growing environment, right? And, and I think in, in, in environments that are a bit more stable, a bit more static, um, you know, you, you, you can probably manage it better, but in a sort of a fast growing environment, you know, one of the biggest problems you have is, is around demand and, and customer demand. So, I mean, one thing we've looked at doing and implementing quite a bit is around um, having good you know, qualification and prioritization in the way that we accept jobs. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's very easy for um, our stakeholders to just engage us because we're here. Uh, rather than engage us because they should be engaging us. So that's certainly something that we've we've looked at. Um, the other thing that we've looked at as well is, you know, how can we really look for, for patterns um, and look to do things around automation, self-service um, and um, channel. Um, and and um, I think, you know, that's something that we've sort of focused a lot on this year in terms of once we get these requests from customers and from our sales teams and um, those sort of areas, you know, what are those sort of sort of patterns? Um, how can we make them more sort of repeatable in terms of the way we handle these? And therefore, we're not throwing as much sort of you know, people power, so to speak, into every single opportunity. So I don't know how relevant that is in, in the engineering space, in the dev space, uh, but certainly in terms of how we um, look at it in my team, that's the, the way we sort of look at things and, and try to make sure that we can, you know, stay the path in terms of the more proactive and, and um, dial moving things, uh, but we don't sort of, you know, fall behind in the way that we are sort of um, servicing the immediate need today. And um, I, though, yes, it's not an engineering specific thing, as you just said, uh, I think it is actually effectively the same pattern because realistically, so, so the way that I play with this a lot is, You've got sort of two classes of work. You've got this sort of planned work and the uh-oh, uh, which is sort of your incidents, your outages, or the oh, someone's asked for something that you just didn't expect them to. Um, and it's really as team when you've got that sort of uh-oh bucket, um, how do you respond to it? And, and the way I've done this over time is if you've got a team, and it's particularly if you're going through, as you said, to this transformation to the teams moving towards a more DevOps model, the teams moving to more self-service model is that you've got effectively sort of some budget, you know, this is the traditional bug budget or outage budget and things, and over time you want to see that sort of decrease. And what this means is these, you're building features, you might have 20% dedicated to, oh no, something's gone wrong. This may be bug fixes, it may be enhancements, maybe keeping the lights on type thing. And over time, you'd love for that to burn down because if you see similar incidents happening again and again, that turns into let's remediate the root cause, let's do this sort of thing. So it's not so much, this goes back to what I was saying before, a, a developer's job is not to write code, it's to provide value. And often that value is through writing code. Sometimes it's let's stop this box from turning off under someone's desk every five minutes. Um, so um, the, this, the, this here is really around how does the team itself manage to, okay, we've got this cost that's coming in. How do we reduce that cost? Because even if you reduce that incident cost or the unplanned cost, there's also, there's always extra unplanned stuff that comes into there. And when, when we've had, when I've worked with teams who've done this really, really well, that unplanned quota just sort of sits there, but, it'll change the nature of it over time as you're continually burning down these outages, incidents, bug, a customer's come in with a sort of completely off the wall request. Um, let, let's let's work out the root cause and stop those happening in the future or let's at least burn down the impact of those so we can service them faster so it doesn't hurt as much. No, absolutely makes sense. Yeah, no, no, and, and, and there are 
frameworks out there that, that do help with managing these. Like, you know, Scrum even talks about managing interrupts. And, um, you know, if you look, if you read into kind of the uh, SRE and the Google SRE handbook, particularly talks about eliminating toil. And, you know, there are definitely strategies out there for elim elimination, long-term elimination, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a journey to get there. Um, uh, so in yeah. the meantime, yeah, having that buffer, um, so for us, what we've what we've ended up doing um, is we 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 do account for that as you as you as you mentioned as the budget um, we account for it and we budget uh, and and then actually fill individuals um, as a in a rotation to um, uh, kind of fill those requests on a, on on a given basis. But it's it's a rotation rather than a dedicated um, function within the team. Uh, you know, ty typically, or like not typically, but like I've seen it in a, a lot of situations where, um, you know, people have created separate teams that just manage uh, that unplanned work and will, and then it's, it does, whilst it does a good job of protecting kind of the the, the, the planned work, which maybe is more strategic, is um, delivering more business value, it, um, it, there is some loss there. There's a loss of uh, experience, expertise, um, the continuous feedback loop is, is, is there's a barrier for continuous feedback loop and you risk going, what we've found is you kind of risk going back into maybe a more traditional separate dev, separate ops model, right? Like where the whole point of a dev, the DevOps approach is to bring dev and ops closer together and, and um, allow for that continuous feedback loop. Um, with that separation, what we what we found um, was that it it inhibited it, it prevented that continuous feedback loop from being effective. So yeah, and and you end up with um, churn of good people because I mean people become developers and operators and things because they like solving problems. They don't like solving yeah. the same problem again and again and again. Which is one of the great things about DevOps is if you give something really repetitive to a developer, they're going to automate the living heck out of it um, because they hate doing that work. Uh, exactly. And yeah, and it's it's absolutely uh, absolutely true. I, I love the way you sort of talk about putting it on. This is a roster and it cycles through because it really is a team or a system problem. It's not an individual one. I mean, this gets into a lot of things around sort of blameless postmortems, etc., etc., etc. But it's, it's it's a lot of that same sort of thing of oh, this failure has happened. It's not because someone let's talk about kick the box under the table again uh but um but it's actually a why is there a box under a table to begin with this is 2021 that's insane sounds like um, you have that experience sounds like you have no that no uh, I, a, a previous a previous client back in yeah. uh consulting land i did but no no everything's cloud-based now it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> brilliant some really interesting points there guys thanks for that um i think this kind of slides on quite well to a very contentious issue around mental health at the moment over to, to Owen's question. Yeah, so um, I wish I'd set up this segue because it was actually quite neat. Um, but uh, so with high performing teams, one of the key tenets of this is psychological safety. The team can operate as they will. They can create mistakes if they if they're innovating and things like that. How do you balance that level of psychological safety of a mistake was made and this is okay, we move on alongside with individual performance of individuals will need to have sort of that competitive streak and um, and being able to sort of drive that accountability, but at the same time protect everyone from the blame, I suppose. I'm happy yeah. to go. Yeah, yeah go for it, Shane. Yeah, you go, um, go for it, mate. 
No, so so yeah, it's an interesting one. Absolutely, um, it's, you know, honestly, not something that that I've thought completely front of mind about, um, but is something that you do tackle day to day as a as a, a leader, right? Um, and you know, it's important that the team feels safe in their environment, um, that they're not judged or um, yeah, that can bring their whole surf self to to work. And 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 VMware is very passionate about this, about bringing your whole self to work, work, and um, yeah, having no judgment. But yeah, as that relates to what we do, an engineering perspective, um, what we've really worked to do, and it sounds obvious, is just um, build uh, a strength strength in the team and trust in the team. So um, it all comes from a foundation of trust and. Yeah, I'm sure you've probably heard about the the book, but for me, a, a real bible on this and a mentor is like is um yeah, the five dysfunctions of a team by Patrick Lencioni. Um, yeah, he talks about you know that building trust being the foundation. Um, yeah, so it's all I I like to reverse it. He talks about it in the negative. I like to reverse it. So like it's around like trust, healthy conflict, commitment, accountability, and results, and um. Yeah, you can't have any of those healthy conflict, commitment, or accountability results, et cetera, without that foundation of trust. So we work quite hard at that. You know, I think generally the culture of VMware um, works to establish that anyway. Um, so we come from a good place. But you know, for for us, um, that that was that was key. And then yeah, we do have to deal with people that sometimes interrupt that. Um, that team dynamic and and erode trust um and so an individual eroding trust amongst the team can uh, also impact things so um mm. yeah we've, we've had to make you know, tough decisions around that but ultimately it's, it's provided that safer space um for people to perform um the, the, so with all of those things being a foundation for us like uh, i think um giving space for people to to fail. And you, you mentioned blameless both mornings and maybe the previous um, uh, answer, right? Yeah. That's that's more what it's like. It's like we, we allow people to fail, um, no judgment, um, uh, uh, but because we, we like to blame the tooling and the process, not the not the people. Um, so I think that's that's kind of adds up to, to an environment that, that, that you know, it does allow people to bring their whole self and and you know, ultimately do do the best job they can and perform as high as they can. And then and then the team themselves keeps each other accountable. That's what we strive for. And 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 processes like Agile um, uh, facilitate that too, because everyone's aware of what each other's doing. We're all driving towards a, a common goal. And if one person's not getting it done, then it's the guy next. It's the person next to them that's um giving him the nudge and saying, hey, what are you doing? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's um, really, really good points and, and and great question, by the way, Owen. Um, I mean, I think that a couple of things um, that I was sort of thinking when I was looking at, at this particular question, I think that the first thing, and it'll, it'll make a bit more sense as we get through it, I think the first thing for me is, um, you know, being, they're being very clear um, and and having good team alignment around sort of metrics and performance and you know what what are you what are you really sort of anchoring in and around as a team 
and then once that sort of foundation is is set i think it is about giving people a lot of freedom uh to experiment and i guess to your point shane um and, and not have that failure of that that fear of failing um and you know i think people in high performance teams have this inherent creativity around them um and sometimes that creativity expands beyond the needs of the team um but very rarely does it expand expand beyond the needs of the company, right? And and yeah. I think you know having that kind of wider mindset around that is is very helpful. And 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 I say and experimenting outside of the team's needs are fine if you're still anchored in the fact that the team has to deliver what the team has to deliver. Um, and I think that kind of helps people sort of express themselves and and um, you know sort of bring their whole self to work from that perspective. Um, I think the other thing that I've seen with people that are sort of on, on like high performing people and like to be part of high performing teams is um, giving them that expectation that, you know, we, you expect them to deliver gives them confidence as well. I think, you know, you, you know, like they don't feel like they're trying to prove themselves. They feel that, you know, they've proven themselves and now how do we sort of accelerate? And it's a, a bit of a strange thing, I think, where, you know, like saying to someone, you know, we expect you to smash this, um, you know, kind of gives them that sort of that um, that that um, boost. I think that that really helps them with that sort of um, confidence and sort of coming into into the workplace. Um, and then the other thing that, from a leadership perspective, uh, when we do bring the team together, and it's something that um, I've sort of coached myself to do, which which has been a bit hard over the last year, but. Um, have coached myself to do a lot better is um, as sometimes if I'm the, the most senior person in that room or in that post-mortem or in that feedback session to be the person that speaks last um, and I think that's really helped um, the team and um, you know it, it does a lot of things in terms of you know not biasing the conversation not bringing pile on all those kind of things which are which are horrible um, but it does give people that freedom of expression where you know you know, you're hearing everyone out. And, and the thing that I find is that quite often from the start of the meeting to when I actually talk, my opinions probably changed about five times because I've just heard so many different perspectives. And I feel like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a good way of, you know, bringing that safety to the, to the, to the mm. workplace and, and ensuring that people are expressing themselves regardless of how senior they are. Yeah, it's actually a yeah, um, great thing you said there. Oh, my opinion's changed five times. So it's, that goes back to that, what do we look for in teams, that sort of plasticity and, and curiosity. It's like, oh, I didn't consider that. I didn't consider that, absolutely. If I um, if I could be allowed to uh, sort of play back, because I, I thought of something as you two were speaking then, which is a nice little sort of wrap-up abstraction over this, is it's really around expectation setting. So, I mean, what you were saying then, uh, so oh, we expect you to smash this because we know you've got this. You're here in the door already. We know you're awesome. And then rounding that with Shane's um, point around sort of, I'm a big fan of the Let's See Only Five Dysfunctions thing as well, of the there's, there's sort of acceptable failures and unacceptable failures. And by and large, everything's an acceptable failure. The unacceptable ones are the ones where you break the team. So you're breaking the trust, you're breaking this, and you stop that other stuff happening. So in as far as psychological safety, as long as you're doing things which are aligned with your organisational values, your team values, trusts, if they're not one of the other ones, that's all perfectly fine. That makes sense. So I think that's where you're getting to this. And then if it's a, no, 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 you're, you're doing something which is violating that social contract that's when it's the kind of thing of like no 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 let's let's step this back let's work out how we change this 
Yeah, brilliant. And how do you guys as leaders then try and manage some of those big personalities within those teams? Do you try and, you know, really nurture their kind of crazy ideas and let them be outgoing? Or is it something you try and suppress for the whole, you know, team morale? How, how, how do you go about managing that? Uh, so I, I feel bad because I keep going first and it's actually after the set. Oh, let's, let's just wait until everyone else is speaking. Um, <laughs> but I can't help myself. I, it's something I'll struggle with. Uh, I'm a big fan of letting people themselves now the, the challenge here is especially when you're talking with engineers you end up with some people who are that really bigger than life let's go crazy and do this kind of thing but you've also got other people on your team who have that sort of creativity beyond their bounds as you said but aren't going to say it in the session so it's a really about creating space for them to have that creativity but not through one channel. I mean, because um, some people will love to sort of, let's get in front of a whiteboard, let's brainstorm, let's do all this kind of stuff. And other people will sit there and watch it for an hour. And then an hour later, you'll get this note, you'll get this Slack message or email with a brilliant solution that no one had considered because they said they need to ruminate on it a little bit. And it's really about creating, creating space, creating the system for the right people, well, for people to flourish. Mm. No, I, I agree. I think... Um... I certainly wouldn't want to uh, suppress them at all. I think, um, you know, again, anchoring back to clear goals, metrics uh, for the team. And I think the other thing here is, um, particularly in, in larger organisations, and is, you know, when you have these kind of people in the team, um, I, I'm, I'm totally open and, and encouraging of the fact that, you know, they're probably not going to be in my team for a long period of time, right? I mean, their, their, their bounds and their capabilities are going to be exposing them to other parts of the organization, other managers, um, and, you know, they're probably only going to be in the team for a period of time. And and um, I think that, again, is, is another sort of motivator for those people. Um, and I guess for the broader organization to have these people in there who can excel in lots of different areas or their core skill set can help other areas excel um, I think is a, is another sort of thing so um, you know giving the, those team members exposure to all different parts of the organization and then you know if that results in them moving to other parts of an organization then you know great as I mean it, it's uh, you know the worst thing sometimes is losing these people altogether so um, you know yeah, I think having that organizational mindset can can really help yeah, no doubt um... Yes, I like you don't I agree don't, don't want to squash those people that are um you know feel full of ideas or are making those ideas known in in kind of particular forums, but um you obviously if it becomes toxic then you you gotta deal with it. But with the um I think it comes down to us as leaders though to show the team that 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 forum or whatever that avenue that that loud person is able to um, pre present their ideas, that that's not the only forum. And you touched on it, Owen. Like mm -hmm. you know, allow recognize when it comes as a as a quiet voice, a Slack message, whatever, and then and then demonstrate to that that people that you that you're taking action on those things too. Like it's not you're not just listening to the loud voice. Um, you are you see real action or like the team sees real action from the yeah. quiet boys too and i imagine as leaders over a couple of years it's probably taken a while to be able to kind of cultivate that mentality of knowing the right way to kind of deal with these certain people in situations as well right oh totally totally i think uh, one lesson i learned um pretty early when i started managing people so um maybe six seven years ago now my manager um 
sort of said to me in a in a performance review. He said, "You know, Sudith, it doesn't always have to be your idea, mate." And um, that really sort of struck me, right? It was like, you know what? I've I have actually been suppressing the team. I have been the the filter for that team, um, and you know that's that's a you know a pretty poor uh, way of leadership in my in my opinion, and and particularly when you've got sort of these high performing teams and, and high performing individuals, uh, you don't want to be that bottleneck of performance. Uh, you you want to be quite the opposite. Mm. Yeah, great stuff. Anybody else got anything to add on that topic, or should we move across to Sudeep's question? Yeah, I, I might just quickly inject a kind of answer. So, so part of this as well is you've you mentioned around finding the way to sort of lead around that and recognise those people. I think this comes back to what Shane was saying fairly early on of, of trust. And now this isn't trust of, oh, yes, someone has said they'll do X, so they did X. It's, it's more around, oh, I understand who that person is and understand how they operate. So being able to have and build that trust, and this is, and trust is sort of consistency over time, um, really enables the, oh, this is how we can interact with that person, this is how we do that there. And, and the other thing here is we keep using the word leadership, um, is this really is around leadership, not management, because if you can do it in Excel, it's not leadership. Mm. Um, so, <laughs> and, and if, you, if you're there to really help people and things like that, because they, these, are, these are people after all. Yes, sure, they come to work one often. These are people. They want to have the voice heard. They want to have their purpose and things like that. And it's our job to make sure they can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Think we could have a whole hour just kind of discuss the differences between leadership and management. That, I think that could be a separate <laughs> conversation entirely. Um, and I think we've kind of touched on the next point pretty briefly anyway, but Sudith, would you like to introduce your question, mate? Yeah, sure. Um, so my, my question to the panel is, um, what do you see as the challenges in leading high-performing teams? And I might add high-performing individuals. And, and how do you overcome them? Go for it, Owen. <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> mate, fast. Um, one of the big ones, which especially as I started uh, leading people, is uh, you sort of touched on it, that it doesn't always have to be your idea, is realising that almost everyone is, like everyone who is high-performing is high-performing because they're, they're smarter than you or better than you in these things. Mm -hmm. And being able to make sure you can lead those people in a way that can bring the best out of them without necessarily being the... I am the person over the top, this is the way, follow me down here. But it's really around creating that around them. And, and especially early on in my career, that was really, really hard because if you've got, if, if you're young in your career and immature, uh, it's really hard to then try and create room for everyone else when you're trying to be high performing at the same time. I'm sorry if, um, if my daughter crying in the background's coming through. <laughs> That's all good as the joys of working from home. Indeed. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so the other the other part of that is it's not really a challenge. It's you touched on this as well. It, it's almost a badge of honor when you've got a really high performing person and they move on. Um, and it's as long as they're not moving on for as we sort of talk about sort of unacceptable failures. Um, it's a great thing because you've been enabled them to sort of take that next step to move to that new part of the organisation, or even if it has to be externally. Um, so be it. But it's almost a win. But it also makes it really hard with the team to. Here's someone who is really high performing, the whole team's high performing, and they've gone, oh, they've outgrown us. And managing that is actually the most difficult part of that, I've found. Mm. As how to do it, I don't know. I do it, I sort of make it up as I go. Again, it's around sort of knowing the people, having the right level of trust, and working together with everyone to go, oh, yes, this person has moved on. It's the right thing for them. 
don't think it's the right thing for us. How do we work around that, knowing that there is this big high-performing hole in in this team? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think like maybe it's a little bit separate to just like managing that that one high performer or um, maybe a couple of high performers, but just how to maintain the high-performing team, particularly when there are kind of bad actors in the in the in the group. We did touch a little bit on you know how do you deal with the, the the arrogant arrogant one or the you know the, the the loud one whatever like yeah as leaders we got to navigate that whilst also you know uh, taking into consideration emotional factors etc but um you know i've certainly had examples of you know people in my team who've just been bringing the rest of the team down and just kind of bringing um they're the ones to, they're the first people to highlight the problems with the system um with the processes and that's all good we absolutely encourage it but you know problems need to come with solutions and uh, like ideally and and and, uh, and when that becomes a constant issue where i've seen that significantly impact um impact our team and so you know we just sometimes have to make hard choices and um either ideally find position for someone in the organization if there is better suited that that you know plays to the strength or um or in, in in some cases actually exit them from the organization but um you know i've seen firsthand that the, as tough as the decisions are it it only accelerates um uh, progress after after they've gone and the team um values uh, you for it as a leader um and you know uh, yes are very grateful because they know they know when there's someone in their own team that is not being dealt with um and it just ends up being a, a, a black mark on your leadership um ability no absolutely absolutely i mean what, one thing that i've sort of found um and, and it probably brings in a few things that we've spoken about today was um spending a bit of time to really understand sort of the drivers and motivations I, I think it's it's easy with high performing teams and high performing individuals to just automatically think you know this person's driver is you know career progression or pay or those sort of things and and you know, quite often you find that it's it's not um and you know we had an example in my team where you know this particular person is you know an absolute superstar um does really well on the 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 uh, performance reviews is you know admired by his peers and um people in the team and people in adjacent teams and when you kind of sort of deep dived into it, it, it the the real sort of driver for this person was really just getting getting a balance in in his life and and um you know giving him that sort of freedom to you know again on the basis of you know very clear metrics and and performance metrics and all those kind of aspects that um was going to come into it when you do the official performance review um just giving him that freedom to kind of work around his life a little bit uh, was was really sort of helpful and, and really helped him you know perform even better and um it is acknowledging i think you know some of these people that that um are in who have these sort of high performance mindsets they don't always work nine to five like they they work at really different times um and and, and you know as long as they're sort of you know, getting what they need to be done and they're being collaborative and, and those sort of aspects, um, you know, it, it, it might be different to the way I work and, and the style I work, but 
um, you know, people do work around their life. And, um, you know, that's something that we, I saw quite a bit, particularly moving into tech, that you do see that kind of um, approach to working and, um, you know, finding those kind of drivers and motivators are, are quite interesting. I think the other thing that you, you see um, that, uh, can be a bit of a challenge with with some of the people is around um, around boredom, right? I think you know high performing people uh, do tend to get bored um, and and do tend to you know um, outgrow what they're doing and and you know finding them new challenges and those sort of things you know pretty easy in a in a cloud sort of business. I mean, there's so much uncharted territory in cloud that you know finding new challenges or getting them to find new challenges is is not a difficult thing to do um in some of those more slower industries or static industries you know finding those new things are hard and and that's where i guess you know churn and those sort of things can become a problem but um you know they're, they're probably the two things that i've found with, with with these is you know how do you make sure people aren't bored um and um uh, and it's not bored because they don't like the company or they don't like the industry. It's just that, you know, they just get through things really quickly. They get concepts, they master things really fast. And, um, you know, once they master it, you know, as you said at the start, Owen, that, that you don't want, these people don't want to keep doing the same thing that they master over and over again, right? They um, they want to find the next thing to master. Yeah, there's um, something that you'd said there, so there's sparked it. I mean, so... Um... This, this this was something I saw quite a bit earlier on when I was consulting is especially when you're working with um, generally older organisations, the more traditional organisations uh, that don't necessarily have the same cultural alignment throughout that you see through a lot of the sort of newer large mm. companies um, is with a lot of what we've been talking about here, there's it's been a fantastic amount of alignment around, oh, yes, it's around making sure the people are there, making sure that they can grow. And if they outgrow something, let's create something for them. Let's make sure they don't get bored. It's actually at the interfaces of that and sort of more traditional top-down thinking of thou shalt do what I've said because I'm in position X. Um, and it's really around that. So, I mean, as you said, we've, I've worked with some brilliant engineers and good luck catching them in the morning um, of, mm. of because they work best between sort of 8 p.m. and about 4 a.m. Um, and so if you're trying to catch them for a 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock coffee and things like that, you've got sod all chance in heck. But um, that's fine if that's how the team operates. But it's at those boundaries and that sort of, mm. um, uh, like, I think Sahoda, Sahoda talks about sort of the culture bubbles and the interfaces between them. How do you manage that there? And that's a real challenge. And because within the team, as long as everyone knows this is when everyone's working, this is when our ceremonies and things are happy days. But it's more of, oh, I tried to call this person. They didn't answer the phone at, at mm. five past nine. Why didn't they do that? It's because they were sleeping. Um, and, and it's a manager of... of the interface between the high performance and I, I don't want to say not high performance, more traditional ways of leadership mm. and management. I think yep. that's a really interesting point. And what would you say? I mean, we've talked a lot about you know high performing individuals, but how do you think an actual overperforming individual compared to the rest of the team? You know, is there is there a benefit to that, or do you think that's more of a deterrent for the rest of the team? Being overperforming and a bit kind of over overshadowing um, everybody else that they're working with. Yeah, good question, Danny. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's. I think in in that kind of situation, I think there's there's two responses, and um, well, there's three, but you you hope that it's only one of the two that will uh, will happen. I think uh, 
the the response that you obviously don't want is the team to just completely demotivate and disengage and those sort of things. Um, but I, like I think if you're, you're hiring the right sort of people and and you can pick this up in in the interview process as well and the recruitment process, I think there's the the response has got to be either you know that that person is looked at very positively for you know outgrowing what they're doing and you know they move on to bigger and better things and that should motivate people um because you know they can also follow that that journey um and then i think the other thing i think we've spoken about it as well today is you know i i think it does sort of spark that competitive spirit in the team and i, and I think having that competition in the team um, is a good thing if it's healthy, right? And and if it's not in a place where you know, it, you know it's it's still building trust, it's still um, you know within the realms of you know acceptable um, working culture. It is in the realms of you know you're hitting your, your your targets and your performance and all those sort of aspects. I think you know having that competition and 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 wanting the team members to kind of in a in a, as collegiate way as possible, um, you know compete with each other and outdo each other and, and egg people on i think that's a that's a really good thing i think um and and i think that's where you it you know you've got to be you know really selective when you're you're hiring these these teams and, and and looking for these individuals right i think you know the cost of getting that hiring decision wrong is is far more impactful it's far greater i should say than just you know hiring the wrong person getting rid of that person and rehiring i mean that that wrong person can create a ripple effect that's you know seen within your team and seen outside your team and all those kind of aspects so i think you know you, you really got to get it right as best you can on the way in uh, to try and counter some of those things absolutely all right great i think we've probably got time for one more owen i think you had a couple of follow-up questions that you that you prepared uh yeah um so one thing that i've, I've been thinking a lot about to the last few years is when we're talking about these really high performing really collaborative psychologically safe uh where there's room for people to grow and things like that teams how do you balance that with uh really fast growth and this, this goes back to what you're saying just sensitive of like you need to be really really picky because a bad hire can have a really detrimental effect but if you need to hire very quickly in order to hit where you need to go how do you balance those two side by side? Because it, it's something that I've found really, really hard of, and I'll always err on the let's take longer to hire, but then there's sort of that mounting pressure to this high-performing team because the workload's increasing um, and you don't want to undermine that. Yeah, it's um, it's a problem, you know, we, we face all the time and, mm. um, you know, um, again without sort of going into all the details of, of how we hire i mean i think you know a couple of principles i've seen from lots of sort of tech companies i think you'll find um that the final sort of hiring decision isn't just on the hiring manager themselves um i think yep. you, you do see a lot of group hiring decisions uh being made um and you quite often have someone who is you know not necessarily a stakeholder in that group um, and, and that kind of keeps things honest. And, and I think the the reality is, I mean, you know, it is kind of developing that mindset as the hiring manager or as the leader of the team that, you know, the the short term pain is is far less than the long term pain of of hiring the wrong person, right? And and I think, you know, 
do I, do I want to keep jobs open for six months to a year? No, I do not, right? I, I want them filled uh, when I have a job. But at the same time, you know, um, hiring someone who's, you know, not coachable or not capable of, um, you know, running with, with something or, you know, or, or brings a bad sort of mindset and culture to the, the team, I think, you know, the repercussions of that is, is far worse. So, you know, like you, Owen, I, I'd, I'd, um, I'd stick it out as, as much as I can. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it is going to create a burden. Uh, but, you know, to me, it's that short-term burden, um, you know, is, is far less than that sort of long-term burden of hiring the wrong person. And just that ripple effect they can have across the business is, um, is, is horrible. And, and you can really bring high-performing people down or high-performing teams down by just having the wrong person in that team. So um, I, I will sort of err on the side of caution with that one. Yeah, I, I imagine that um, you know, if you are one of those organisations that is growing rapidly, maybe like a startup, you don't have the luxury or like a full vetting process like in AWS or even actually VMware, but you're relying maybe on recruitment firms or whatever to do some of that for you. But I, I know for our experience, uh, particularly in my experience, um, we've had only one period of that where we were growing rapidly. It was in VMware, um, you know, the project that we're part of, which was essentially establishing VMware's internal private cloud, um, grew significantly in the first 12 to 24 months. And whilst we had an established core group, we then like involved them in the hiring process. Maybe that sounds obvious, but you know, um, the team was doing the hiring, not just the leadership. But I do like the idea of what you're saying is it is about, you know, impartial, um, panel member of the panel um being there as well you know and being in the round table uh, when the decisions is made um so that the everyone else in the team hears their perspective as well you know as as a, a removed um uh, a party yeah. Yeah, so that's that's something that we do uh, as well, and, and it has a, another benefit, which again is one of those things. Oh, it kind of seems obvious. Is as as Sadiq was talking about, of oh, if they outgrow this team, or they may outgrow sort of that function within the organisation, being able to move laterally into new teams. If during the interview process, one, they can meet the team they're working with, but also meet people external to that function, they can go, oh, yeah, this is a company I want to work with, not just this is a team I want to work with. And and I've often, I've often found that particularly with people who love being in high-performing teams, they love being in that sort of cultural within the company as well that actually fits with that. So being able to meet someone outside of there makes people realise, okay, fantastic, we're not just hiring a carbon copy of the same person, get it again. Uh, but also, this is how this fits in with the rest of the organisation. Absolutely. Yeah, great stuff. And I think that's probably all we've got time for today, gents, unless anybody's got any kind of um, rounding comments to finish us up or anything they'd like to add. No, amazing. Just want to thank you all again for joining us. There's been some really, really interesting discussion points there. And then hopefully we get the opportunity to, to have you guys in a room again and discuss some, some more contentious topics. There's plenty of them. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Danny. It's good to chat. Thanks, Thanks Danny. Thanks, gents.